Hello and welcome to Your Counselor Online and we're back again with Counselor Jim Murray from Eastbourne. How are you doing Jim? Good afternoon, yes, yeah, great to be back again. And it's great to see you again, brilliant. So we're here for your third podcast now. Yep. Uh, and we're in a new environment, we're at the Enterprise Shopping Centre in our studios upstairs uh, with all the fantastic boutiques and cafes and the Thai restaurant. Have you been in there? Been in the Thai restaurant many a time and uh, yummy noodles down the far end. Exactly. That's one of my favourites. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh no, I need to keep away from all of that. <laughs> so uh, yeah, fortunately I've managed to do so so far. But anyway, if you hear some background noise, it's just all the shoppers and the revellers just enjoying themselves here. It's part of the atmosphere of being in the middle of Eastbourne, mm. which is fantastic. Sunniest place in the UK. Yeah, see, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Especially today, luckily. So we're here today with Councillor Murray and we're going to be talking about planning. Now, we put this out onto Facebook and Twitter uh, a week or so ago, asking for questions from people who wanted to know more about planning and, you know, well, how it affects the town. Why do the people have to actually apply for planning permission to change their houses or their shops or anything else like that? Now, Jim, tell us why this is of special interest to you. Uh, well, my background is carpentry, um, and I've been a carpenter since I was uh, left school. A ten days holiday, went straight into a carpentry apprenticeship, um, and since then I've built up my own company. Then went into project planning and project management, um, and um, have a real interest in architecture as well, and have a big eco head on me as well. So I'm sort of looking to build, when I'm looking to build houses or look at houses, I'm looking to try and build homes rather than houses. Um, proper sustainable develop developments if possible well yes and that, and that makes sense so from, from a work point of view you're involved with that on a daily basis the building yeah. of the houses and and working with architects i guess to make sure that uh, that everything works out well and as you say building a home rather than just a house yeah right? make it nice and and decent but for the town you've also got some special responsibility yeah um, as chair of planning um we have 12 meetings a year um, in those meetings, we have anything between two or three um, properties come up and uh, 10 or 11 properties come up. I think the most we've ever had is 17 in one evening. Mm -hmm. um, all depends how many applications come through at that particular time of the year. We have to deal with all of them within an eight-week period. Um, to get them into actual committee stage, uh, so therefore... That's why they tend to back up sometimes. So if, if you if we only have three coming through, then that's fantastic. But if we have thirteen coming through, they have to go into committee as well. Mm -hmm. So we can't we can't put some off until next month when we know it's going to be a bit quieter. Ah, right. Okay, because of the time limit. Okay. Well, if you don't mind, some of the questions actually involve that sort of thing. In, in other words, trying to figure out how and why and how the planning committee and, and the process works. But maybe you could tell our, our listeners why it works. I mean, why is there a planning requirement? Why do people have to come along to you and say, I want to put a house, a, an extension on my house? Or I want to, ch what's the other one? Yeah, windows. I want to change the windows. I mean, can you explain why that why this exists? Changing of windows, uh, cutting trees down, um, all sorts of different things. The, the idea is that um, Great Britain has 65 million, 67 million people now living in, in the country and we've got limited space. So the planning is there to control the amount of sprawl um, into our green spaces. Um, and once we set a style for that particular town, what we're trying to do is we're trying to um, stick with that style throughout the town as much as we possibly can. Obviously moving with the times, um, which makes it all very interesting. Um, but the, the, the main main thing is to, so that we don't go too far into the green countryside um, and, and end up with a bit of a higgledy-piggledy mess. 
Okay. All right. Because, uh, I mean, I've traveled uh, quite a bit in America and Canada, yeah. uh, and there doesn't seem to be any requirements for planning whatsoever over there. You know, you can walk down the street and every single house will be completely different to the next house. And they always remark when they come over here how similar our streets are. And I guess Harry Potter, if you, do you remember that? Yeah. At the beginning when they show where he's been living with his uncle and aunt or whatever, and all the houses look the same. Everyone's got a Ford, uh, what was it? Not not Nesquik, <laughs> the Ford uh, Focus. Focus, yeah. yes. And everyone's washing their Ford Focus in the mornings. Um, how similar things are. Uh, sort of estates are like that. But over there, they don't have that. What, any, any ideas why? Um, there's a couple of reasons. If I take you back to France, France is a good example because France has about the same population, 65 million people, but twice the amount of space for it. So they can sprawl a little bit more. But the big difference between France and England is that England has international companies, sorry, multi has national companies that will build all over the country. So think of people like Persimmons, Wimpies, Taylor Woodrow. They will build all over the country and they will build a certain style of house using certain materials. Because they can build uh, buy those materials in bulk, um, it makes it a little bit cheaper for them to actually build. In France, you don't get that. You have individual counties, um, individual areas, which are managed by the mayor. So the mayor has control in those particular areas. You go to the mayor to ask permission as to whether or not you can build a house. And if he likes the style of the house, then you get to build it. And um, because there's so much more space over there, um, you, you get a very much more individual sort of type of build. And you use the local materials. So if you go to somewhere like Normandy, which um, hasn't got very many trees, they build with mud and straw. And you go um, into the central part of uh, the, the France when there's a lot more trees, they build in timber. So you see the traditional type of timber, um, Tudor-type buildings that we see in this country. And you go down south, and they, they've got another style of building over there. And it's just fairly similar in, in America. In America, um, huge amounts of timber, so all the houses are built in timber, and they can build anywhere they like because they've got so much space. Well, there we go. That, that we, now we know something new. Now, that's fantastic. I didn't realise that, of course, but I just thought, you know, that France likes regional stuff, and that's it. But, of course, it makes sense, doesn't it? There's no point moving material to and from such a large country all the time. So, that, no, right, OK. So, historically, then, we have kept... Um, a uh, a kind of um, design or not really a plan I guess for our towns and cities but uh, we've kept to there is a, a technical term for this isn't there? An, an area development plan or something like that yes 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 so um, each each individual town has to come up with their own plan which they present to, present to central government telling the central government how many houses they're going to build in the next 5 10 15 years and then uh, central government comes back and tells you, well, yeah, no, that's acceptable, or no, you're not building enough, we need you to build more houses. Mm -hmm. So Eastbourne, for example, needs to build 500 houses a, a year. We're only building about 150 houses a year, mainly because the developers haven't got the space in Eastbourne um, to be able to build everything that, that, that we want them to be able to build. And we, um, we're, we, we're resistant or have been resistant to going up too high. Um, so the, the multi-storey blocks of flats that you might see in, in other towns, we've, we, in, the, in the past we've res resisted those. They're just starting to creep in now, sort of four or five storeys, because we, we're at that point now where we're having to sort of look at that, that type of building um, to be able to get to that level of builds that we need to be able to do to keep the government happy. Of course, because a flat is a home. Yes. Right, so that counts towards, towards the targets that, that, that we set. 
Um, yeah, it's interesting, especially, I guess, with, with Eastbourne as well, because of the historic kind of plan that was put in place when Eastbourne was put together. Um, I, I did some research on, on Eastbourne, and apparently it was Lord Cavendish, wasn't it? Yep. Thank you. Good. Phew. That's an A. Um, so Lord Cavendish, who decided the way that the town would be laid out. Uh, and I guess that puts a lot of restrictions because a lot of the housing stock was built kind of at the same time. Is that right? Um, if you stand on Eastbourne Pier, look back into the town, everything to the left is the big hotels um, and the grand houses. Everything to the right is the not quite so big hotels and not quite so grand houses. And that was the style of the town, um, sort of formulated very roughly by by um, by, by the um, by Cavendish. Um, it started in 1835 with about four hotels and expanded from that point. So up until that point, there was very little uh, building works going on in the town. Yeah. Very new town, Eastbourne, yeah. And obviously at the Enterprise Centre here, we're quite close by to the train station. Yep. And it, that's even newer, isn't it? Because, of course, there was only a spur line and there was there was some hassle to try and get it extended from Polgate, I think it was, years yes. ago. Obviously years ago. <laughs> so, I mean, that's... And an that's in- why we've got the, the Hamden Park um, busiest um, train, train crossing in Europe because the trains have to come in through um, Hamden Park and then go back out again before they can get back on the, on the main line again. Listeners, if you could see him, he's basically shaking his fist and going, grrr, <laughs> because of the amount of hassle that crossing cuts course. But anyway, we covered that on a different podcast, didn't yes. we? So let's not go back there again. Um, but yeah, I mean, so that's quite an interesting way of looking at planning. So in other words, somebody says I want to build a town or I'm going to put the land to, to, however it works basically I'm going to build a town I'm going to look up from here and everything on the left is going to be grand everything on the right seems like all the workers who are going to be working on that side of the town that's where they're all going to live so it's quite a demarcation there isn't it which you could have got away with in 1835. I don't think you're going to get away with that these days. No, no. <laughs> Except, of course, and this is my own point of view, you can see some developers trying to do that, of course, with affordable housing. Yes. Uh, one of the big things about affordable housing is that the, the affordable housing should be built within um, the existing housing stock. So if, if you've got to build 60 houses, we would ask you to build 20 of those as being affordable. So there shouldn't be a difference between one type of house and the other type of house, and it should all be within the same development. Oh, okay. So I think most people assume that they're made of lower quality materials. They're not designed as nicely and they're pretty much just made of paper. No, that's not the case. Everything has to come up to a certain standards. Planning um, decides on the design and location of the building. Um, Building control, which is run by the council, um, they decide on the quality and make sure that the house isn't going to fall down around your ears. Oh, okay, so te- the technical side of it. Yes. Right. Yeah. So building control, control, that side of things, planning just decides on. So we're, we're like the architects and the building control are, are the, the actual builders. Okay, yeah, I, I get you. So in other words, making sure the electricity is, is up to standard yeah. or code or whatever it is that's called, that's yes. called over here um, to make sure that it works properly. Oh, okay. Now, another point I'll just make... Um, quickly on the, on the planning committee is that if anyone's actually interested in learning more about how the committee works we have already got at least one um, a video uh, cast that we did of your planning committee where we were there filming it live for you um, and so that's actually on the website as well so just look for that under under Jim Murray because um, it's fascinating really to see how it works and to see how people come in with their applications now I've got some questions obviously that listeners have have, have sent in and one of them, which I think will tie in quite nicely with that, is 
I'll get there in a second, <laughs> is will my application, so planning application, automatically be heard at a committee meeting? Now, guys, if you look at the video, you'll see that there's a committee of people sitting around discussing applications. So will every application be heard by your committee? So we have a committee meeting once a month. We have between um, 80 and 120 applications per month come in uh, for planning. Um, so no, it won't be. Um, <laughs> well, as quite a lot of those applications might be, um, I want to erect a fence at the bottom of my garden, or I want to cut down the tree at the bottom of my garden. All of that has to go through planning. Um, but the the bigger developments, um, so if you're building two or three houses, um, or a large extension on your house, then that could possibly come to committee. Um, it all depends on if there's any objections. And you can also insist on it coming to committee yourself if you ask for it. If you ask for it to come to committee, then it, we, we will bring it to committee, to committee. Right, because this comes under something about the devolved powers. Yes. So in other words, officers at the council are allowed to make decisions based on criteria. Um, and if it falls outside of that criteria, then it comes to the committee. Delegated powers, yeah. Dele sorry, yeah. not devolved, delegated. So mo most planning issues go through delegated, which is the officers. Um, I have sight of all of those, um, so I do check them all just to make sure that they're, they're not trying to sort of get anything past the uh, the councillors, who are the elected members of the council. Um, but um, we've got a very good planning committee in Eastbourne, um, and uh, I've, I think I've only ever called in perhaps one or two that I've just I've thought well perhaps we might want to bring that one to committee, mm -hmm. just to give people the, the chance to voice their concerns. Right. So it, it depends on whether there's been any uh, any complaints or any sorry not complaints. <coughs> sorry, excuse me. Disputes. Disputes depends on whether there's been any disputes because of course a planning application has to be publicly displayed. We've all seen that yeah. on uh, you know tacked up on a telegraph pole or or something like that uh, or in the newspaper nowadays. It has to go into the newspaper, has to go up on the poll. We tend to put something out on the radio, might only go out once. Um, the problem we have at the moment is that the governments are trying to um, improve, the, increase the amount of building works that are going on because um, a good way of boosting the or stimulating the economy is to make sure all the builders are working. There's, there's two million of them. Um, they get paid at the end of every week and they go out and spend all their money. So that money goes straight back into the economy. So it's a very good way of sort of stimulating the economy. Okay. And uh, I'll, t I'll tell you what, I'll oh, sorry, no, go on. And um, so what the, gov what the government's trying to do is they're trying to make planning um, easier for you to do so you can now um, extend out the back of your house a single story up to eight meters and the full width of your house which is an immense amount of space it's almost doubling the floor space um, and all you have to do is you have to ask your um, immediate neighbors so a letter will go out to your immediate neighbors asking them if they've got any problems if they come back and say no you can build it you know, whereas before you would have had to go for full planning permission for that sort of development. Was it something like two metres beforehand? Two or three metres, yeah, very much smaller. Which is why all of the conservatories are about the same size. Yes. Right, yeah. OK, well, that's interesting, isn't it? OK, and on that note, let's go for some music. Where's his Sunday best? My 
mother's tired, she needs a rest The kids are playing up downstairs Sister's sighing in her sleep Brother's got a date to keep, he can't hang around Let's hope you enjoyed that. So let's go, let's talk about um, the delegated powers that the that the uh, council officers have. Now, do they come to you sometimes and say, "Listen, this thing just cannot go through. There is absolutely no chance." I'm going to send it to a committee. With a, did they can they make a recommendation themselves or? Yes, definitely. If, if because obviously I don't get to see every single piece of paperwork that comes through before them, so um, something which we think might not be a particular problem, um, a two-story extension on the back of somebody's house, um, we think will go through nice and easily. There's no no problems with it. We've done a hundred of them before, but we might have three or four neighbours in that particular area who absolutely detest it, think it's going to be overshadowing or over, overlooking their property. Um, they complain, so therefore we will then bring it to committee. Okay, all right. That's another good point that you just brought up about the overshadowing. Now, I take it that there's been lots of complaints about trees and what have you. Does that come under planning at all? Trees does come under planning. Um, we have a, a TPO, uh, which we stick on a, a number of trees around the town. So if you see a, a tree on the corner of a road in a prominent position, it's normally got a tree preservation order on it, a TPO. 
Um, this stops people from just cutting it down because um, because it's blocking their light or blocking their TV satellite signal. signal. Because it changes the entire feel of the town. The, 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 the idea of Eastbourne is that we are... Um, a sustainable town uh, we're trying to make it as green as possible we're trying to give it that green feel um, for example we've planted um, 350,000 pounds worth of trees in the last five years wow. in the town um, I know that a lot of people are complaining about the fact that we've been cutting a lot of trees down and mainly in the roads uh, but we have been replacing them I promise you um, when a tree gets to a certain point where it's damaging the infrastructure of the town then unfortunately it's got to come down Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, we, we will do it as an absolute last resort. Yeah, I mean, my dad lives somewhere, and uh, the pavement, not ju- well, just up the road from him, has got a tree. You know, trees growing out of the on the side verge, or whatever you want to call it. Um, but this particular tree, not only is it taking up its side verge place, you know, with the grass and everything else, but it's actually growing out uh, and taking up half of the pavement mm-hmm. as well. You yeah. know, and and it has done that for quite some time because it's quite an oldish tree. Funnily enough, on a corner. Yeah. So that's probably why it hasn't been cut down there. Yeah. Because it's got a TPO on it. Yeah. Because of it's a landmark, I guess, or whatever. But you know, don't get me wrong; it's nature, so we don't really want to chop it down for the set for the sake of it, do we? No. Just to beautify something, mind you. Or, or not beautify it, because this case normally is. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's true. Mind you, the summer's coming, and I've got a tree in my garden that's a bit tall. So. <laughs> you could apply, you could apply for everything topped. Yeah. So you, can, so, so you can get the top ten meters or cut something cut off. But um, but we would normally, if it's got a TPO on it, would say no to cutting it down completely. You're right. Okay. Yeah. Exactly. So that's that's difficult, then, isn't it? When something has grown and which actually impinges or impedes people's progress on a pavement, and you can't really do anything about it. But I suppose if it causes danger, that's a different matter, isn't it? Once it gets to a certain state, then we have to make the decision to um, to lose it. Yeah, yeah. Obviously, he doesn't live in Eastbourne. I'm mm. sure that, that that doesn't happen. But um, yeah, on this particular place, I thought it was quite interesting to see. Okay, so we've covered the, the planning committees and whether or not applications automatically go to committee or whether the, the, the delegated powers cover it. So that's great. Hopefully, that's answered your question there, Kelly Forsyth. Um, so in the committee that, that that's happening and they're looking at things and they're looking at applications... And you said sometimes you have eight, other times you've had 18 applications, yeah. something like that. Is there a time limit on the app, the actual committee? I mean, do you, you said that there is a time limit in terms of having to assess the application. I think you said earlier on two months or something. Yeah, we got eight, eight weeks to, from application to deciding whether or not it goes through, deciding whether or not it goes through delegated or, or comes to committee. Oh, right. Yeah, so, that, that, yeah, so once it's got to that point, then we're fairly close to making a decision. But um, we have to decide within eight weeks what, what we're going to do with it. Okay. And then, of course, so say it takes seven weeks or whatever to look at an application. Yeah. And then you decide, yes, it has to go to committee. Then you have to find the, the committee that obviously it can fit into in terms of time. Yeah. So, um, okay. And sometimes you're going to run out of time. Well, what we do is... On a, uh, sorry, on a committee meeting basis. Yeah. I don't mean on an overall application. So the committee meeting starts at six. Um, and potentially we could run all night if we wanted to. Um but uh, we have a cut-off time at 10 o'clock where um, we, we call a stop to the proceedings and we will ask the full committee whether or not they want to continue. So if we've still got another three or four hours of decisions to make because we've had a, um, a, a decision that took a long time earlier in the, in the evening, then they can either decide to adjourn it until the following month or continue on. 
Um, normally what happens is we've probably got another half an hour or an hour to go and uh, we'll, we'll continue to, to, to complete that particular agenda. The, the longest one we've had is um, 11 o'clock at night, so we've gone from 6 to 11. Um, and that was uh, the one with 18... Um, uh, 18 items and um, 22 speakers well see thank you for the speak yes 20 can you imagine 22 if again listeners if you have a look at the video you'll see that um that listeners are encouraged to, to come a lot as oh, not listeners um sorry what did you objectors or um applicants that's it objectors or applicants i mean obviously an objective an objector is quite self-explanatory and an applicant i guess is someone who's coming along to explain a bit more about this yeah. where you've called them or maybe asked them to explain a bit more about the application and you can see that it can actually be quite busy so have a look at the video people and you, you'll understand um, what goes on there uh, so i hope that answers your question then mrs collett um and talking of the committee then how is the membership of that planning committee sort of determined is it the long party political lines or do people just apply to it is there any special reason why councillors are on it the planning committee is one of the most strictly run um, legal entities within the council so you have to be very careful um, about what you say um, and what guidance you give people and what advice and all those sort of things it's um, one of the few committees where you have a lawyer sitting next to you just to give you a prod if you say the wrong thing oh, really? yeah. um, uh, which happens occasionally with me <laughs> <laughs> but, but, well, it's handy then isn't yes, it really? yeah. make sure everything's above board yeah um, so the uh, whole point of the planning committee is that it's non-political. So we will try and get a balance of um, members from both sides of the party. So at the moment, we've got um, 27 members in Eastbourne. 19 of them... Uh, is it nine? No, it's not 19. It's 18. 18 of them are Lib Dems and nine of them are Tories. Um, but we still do a split where there's five... Uh, four, sorry, four um, Lib Dem councillors and three Tory councillors, and we will try. We will do that every single week or every time that we come to committee. Um, there's there's the regular members who turn up every single month, and uh, occasionally, obviously, if you're on holiday, then you can't make it. And we have people who are delegated to stand in for you. You cannot just be. Um, one of the councillors and turn up because the other guy can't make it. Oh, okay. You actually have to have had some training and you actually have to be a nominated member to be part of the planning committee. Right, so everyone on the committee is trained, has gone through some training yes. to understand and to be appreciative of, of, the, of all sort of, I guess, building codes and regulations yes. and planning regulations also so that they're not objecting or allowing things through which shouldn't happen. I mean, and obviously the lawyer's there to, to make sure that everything's okay. Yeah. Oh, right. Okay, that's interesting. I'm sure a lot of people don't realise that either. They probably no. just think it's lay people. But if you're, you know, relatively qualified, that's good. <laughs> yeah. And um, the and the councillors that are there are not representing their wards. So, for example, I might get one of my um, uh, planning applications might come up in Hamden Park. I'm not, I'm not there to represent that person from Hamden Park. If they want somebody to represent them from Hamden Park as a councillor, they have to ask one of the other councillors from that ward. Okay. I'm there as a representative of the town. 
as as a planning member. So we, although we have our, our where our wards are on our on our stickers, um, we we actually represent the town, not not the individual wards. Yeah, so you're doing a job for the town really, yes. rather than yeah, but being any anything to do with party political. Yeah. So really, <coughs> excuse me, it should be the best people doing that, those particular roles. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. Again, something else I didn't know. So. That, here we go. That next question then from Mark. Um, so are councillors likely to accept applications that are more environmentally friendly if it matches with their party policy? Okay, so we don't have a party policy, but we will have a planning policy. So, And that planning policy um, is the, the thing that guides us. So um, we will look to change that policy or adapt it um, to make it more up to date about every seven to eight years I, I believe um, and our next change is coming up in 2021 so there, we've got quite a bit of green policy within our um, our statement at the moment um, but I am looking to sort of try and green that up with the support of the, the, the other members of the committee so we're looking to sort of try and insist on um, housing developments having 20% of their uh, parking spaces now being um, electric so that you can charge your cars for it okay right. um, we're, we're looking to sort of try and incorporate more green walls into developments uh, more planting um, if they've got lots of car parking, so if you've got some car parking which has got sort of perhaps 20 spaces, those little crosses in the middle mm-hmm. make really good planting spots for trees, you know, rather than sort of having it as a waste space. So, that meant, so we're looking to sort of try and introduce rules like that. Um, uh, making sure that the house is, like I say, becoming more, becoming more of a home rather than a house. Um, it, making sure that they're coming up to really good code standards um so at the moment the standard that most towns work to is code three uh, we try and encourage our developers we can't insist on it but we encourage them to work to code four which just means that the house is slightly warmer you don't have to put so much energy into it to keep it warm um, so therefore it's cheaper on the electric bills which takes people out of fuel poverty mm-hmm. you know so the there's a huge amount of things which get affected by a decent planning policy. And and we've got a pretty good one at the moment, but we're looking to sort of refresh that and make that more up to date for 2021. So anybody's got any ideas of what they'd like to see, mm-hmm. uh, please do contact uh, the, the radio station and, uh, and let them know um, because I'm... I, I know of half a dozen, a dozen, two dozen different ideas um, that I'd like to incorporate. But if I can incorporate another three dozen, then I'm happy to do that as well. Yeah, exactly. Because you don't know which ones could be could be the best no. or, you know, if, that you haven't heard of. Yeah. So get in touch with us here at um, eastbourne.online um, or on yourcounselor.online and let us know. and We can pass those on to you. That's no problem at all. So that, that's interesting as well because the electric cars, I hired one a few months ago and it was yep. quite interesting because... You know what they say about range anxiety, which is what they yes. call it, right, with an electric car. Oh, my gosh. It's a real thing, I tell you. Honestly, yeah. it's a real thing. Now, where we are now, outside the Eastbourne train station, there are some uh, electricity charging points here in the car park, which is great. <laughs> very lucky for me it was when I hired the car for the week. Um, but there's very few, actually. None of the supermarkets have. There's so Morrison's, yeah. Waitrose, Asda. <laughs> See, I know them all. Right? So, and um, but I'm not sure there's any on the seafront. No. no, not yet. But I know that there's, there's there are government schemes, aren't there, to put those so in? There's a government scheme which um, pays 75% of the cost of those. Um, so that puts them actually onto the street side. Um, we're looking into um, seeing how we can do that within Eastbourne. Um, 
once again, if we can get it into the, the individual housing developments, then that would be a good thing as well. Um, and uh, looking to try and sort of reintroduce it into as many sort of areas in the town as we possibly can. So let me ask a question, and obviously personally biased here because I've had the experience of this, yeah. right? So one thing that I think causes a lot of problems with these electric charging points is like, for instance, um, in a supermarket, where they place them mm-hmm. tends to be really close to the entrance. Right, which encourages people to park there who don't have electric vehicles. Yeah. Right. And so, um, my mother-in-law, when I was taking, I took her to a supermarket, had a massive row with this guy who decided that he was going to sit there, and she, she's telling me, just block him in, just he shouldn't be there. But I said, well, actually, you know, it's not the law, right, not to park there. Pretty much like it's not the law not to park in a disabled bay, or a mother and child bay in a private car park. It isn't, isn't it? Yeah, the the um individual shop normally has some enforcement policy so that they can go out there and ask somebody to move. But the police won't come. The police won't come along, but um, most people are fairly sensible if you ask them politely. Uh, It sounds like you've got a particularly arrogant guy, but um, but, but this this is one of the things that we're we're trying to encourage. You know, there's not that many electric cars out there at the moment because there's not that many charging points. Because there's not many charging, uh, um, many cars out there, people have decided, well, I can just park there. I'm not throwing anybody out. Yeah. You know? No, because it's but, empty. But they are, now there's more cars coming through. More people will actually use these spots, so therefore we start to get some arguments. Yeah. Which, personally, is a good thing because I know there's more electric cars out there now. You know, and we're, we're sort of starting to make a difference. And by 2040, I think the, the government's saying, or 2050, that all cars got to be electric. Well, yeah, which would be, you know, I think it'd be great. You know, yeah. the car I had had excellent performance. It was fantastic. You yeah. know, really enjoyed it. Uh, and I would seriously consider that for my next one, <laughs> barring the range anxiety issue. But then you do have different types of chargers with different speeds of charging, you know, and then they cost more, of course, if you want to, like, charge your car up in half an hour, you have to pay quite a lot more. But it's um, not as expensive as putting petrol in it. So, you know, that that was good. But, you know, I think this is one of the things, isn't it, that people sort of real, uh, that don't think perhaps, again, my own personal view, but when a supermarket puts it in and they put them close to it, it's because they're not running the, the cables too far to the other side of the car park. It's probably just to keep the cost down, isn't it? You know. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, 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 it's straightforward. You come straight out of the building, you've got a five-metre cable or a 30-metre cable, which one are you going to use? I knew it. Yeah. <laughs> but yes. I, I, I've been very lucky because of my sort of eco credentials. I've managed to travel around Europe a little bit, sort of looking at some of what the Europeans are doing. Um, went to uh, the Netherlands and um, they had an electric bike over there, which they were sort of trialling. This is five years ago, so, the, but it did naught to 60. It's an electric bike, naught to 60 in four seconds. Wow. You know, and naught to 108. It was, well, it was an amazing bike. Yeah. <laughs> so that's an electric motorbike. An electric motorbike, Right, yeah. right, right. Flipping. Yeah, imagine that. Because, of course, we've got, uh, just a little plug here for one of my neighbours, Easy Pedal Bikes just outside here yep. that sell electric bikes, yep. you know, push bikes and things. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they're, they're going great guns. And you see these electric bikes everywhere, because I'm quite interested in, in everything to do the electricity you know in terms of uh, using it as a power source yeah and i think the university of which uh, you know I'm, I'm affiliated with i'm a student there as well uh, as a mature student um and we also have uh, something at the station i think and i'm not actually is that project still going or have they got is it go bikes or something or, or drop bikes or something not the rent it, yeah there's a rental bike yeah. like push bike normal one but there's also a closed system at Eastbourne Station that allows people to, uh, obviously who are at the University of Brighton in Meads, to get an electric bike from the station so that they can cycle up there. 
Um, and, uh, you know, obviously it was a research project and all that sort of stuff. So I don't know if it, whether it's still going, but it certainly was here. As far as I know, it is, yeah. Right, because yeah. it's a really good idea, you know. Um, but then students tend to walk in groups together. So, you know, what, <laughs> are they really going to use those bikes? Yeah, see you later, I'm off, you know, sort of thing. See you later, mate, uh, you know, when we're up there. But anyway, so that's part of the, the, the plan, obviously, to, to help the green credentials of Eastbourne. Uh, that's one of, the, the, one of the issues. Now, you said that um, uh, new developments are going to uh, you want them. You can't require, well, I suppose you can require them to, to provide electricity char or car charging points within their development schemes. If we make it as part of our policy, then yes, they have to. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah.
So you can do, you can choose, not you, but the, the, the council can choose to, yeah. to make that uh, or whatever policy. Um, helicopter pads on top of tall buildings, yep. whatever. Right. Mm-hmm. Okay. So one of the other questions is. But what would happen if we, what would happen if we sort of overspect it, overspecified it? Um, you know, we've, we've got to strike that balance between attracting the developers into the town. Yeah. And also being able to make it affordable for them as well. Well, yeah, well, it's got to pay back, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, right. So I would love them to have all a hundred houses or a hundred percent of the houses with electric points outside. Mm. But if you ask them to do that, then that's just not achievable. They won't be able to build. They won't be able to make any profit. Yeah. So therefore, they won't come to Eastbourne. They'll go to Hastings. They'll go to Brighton instead. Yeah. Mm-hmm. At the moment, we're a very desirable town to come to and to, and to build into. Do you know, that's a good point because business comes into it, doesn't it? Mm. And uh, I can guess if you have a, a house building company, you know, looking to make, they have to make a profit, you know, this is why companies are in business. So they're looking to maximise their profits. Yes. And the easiest place to do that, you know, is where they can make the maximum amount of profits and still keep in within legisl- local legislation. Yeah. It's got to make sense. So you're competing with other towns. Yes. Hmm, that's interesting. So in other words, sorry, go on. One of of the big things um, I personally hate is developers trying to squeeze far too many developments into a particular block. So it might be a block of flats, um, which is... Uh, will have a sensible floor space for each one of the flats, and that might be 20 flats, but the developer wants to put 30 in there. That means all of those individual flats become far too small the person who's got to live in those buildings won't have a, a good lifestyle because they'll be sort of feeling very cramped. Um, and so that, that sort of thing has to be taken into account as well. So because I've been chair of planning now for four years, the planning officers know that that's my big bugbear all the de- and they pass that information on to all the developers. If you try and squeeze too many flats into this building, it's just going to get thrown out. Right. And so that doesn't happen now in Eastport. Wherever we possibly can, especially on new builds, if they if they've tried to squeeze too many flats into the into the development, it won't it won't go through. It won't even get, come to planning uh, because the officers know that that we'll throw it out at, at committee level. Because you want to create homes, we want to create not homes, just units, yes. yeah. right? not just houses. So that's a small effect, a small difference that we can make there are exceptions to it as always um, there's a hotel that we've just passed um, planning permission for where they've changed it into uh, flats rather than a, um, a, a hotel because it's an existing Victorian house with a staircase running up through the middle they've struggled to be able to get the floor space that they possibly can um, but They've, they've squeezed every square inch out of it as they possibly that they can um, there's plenty of light coming to the building it's on the seafront there's lots of other stuff going on around it that's going to make it still a nice house to be able to live in a nice home to live in right you know so it's always sort of trying to strike that balance and that's one of the things that we've got to take into consideration with planning is that you take every single individual building on its own merit what might work in one house won't work in another house and we might pass that one but we won't pass that one but it's exactly the same yeah but it's in a different environment and you've used different materials and you've got another house right next to you which is going to block all your light and you know so there's there's slight slight variations which make a difference to to how we view each individual property right so okay (coughs) so another question which was this was quite interesting in terms of history so somebody was living in a house and the next door neighbour decided that they want to extend their house. So it's a two, say two and a half story house. Yeah. Um, in other words, just one single room at the top. Not a loft conversion, but a room built there instead of a loft. 
if you see what I mean. So originally, so it's a Victorian house. And then what happened was the neighbour next door decided that, no, 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 didn't want that. They wanted to extend that one single room across the back of the house. Yeah. Okay, if you can imagine. So it goes all the way back. So this house, this room was sort of at the frontish kind of thing. Anyway, did all that, but didn't bother to get any planning permission. Just did it, right? And for years and years and years, there was a big issue about this, and they've never been ordered to take it down. So, and what I know you can't obviously it's not specific yeah. cases, right? You get that, and it's not not in Eastbourne anyway. But how how quickly would the council come down on a? Would you notice that happening if somebody decided to be so crazy to do that sort of thing? In other words, a massive extension on the house without doing any consultations or whatever. Uh, it's one of the things that we've clamped down on in the last two or three years um, where we try and get the officers out and one, check on the developments that we've passed, make sure that they're actually doing what they said that they were going to doing and not try and squeeze an extra flat in or, yeah. or, or stick an extra dormer in on the back or something. Um, and we do encourage them to sort of keep an eye on what's going on in the town as well. That gets supported by the locals who will come to us and sort of say, What's he doing? He's, he's put a fence up or he's put a, um, a, a big extension on the back. Is he allowed to do it? Yeah. Unfortunately, quite a lot of this falls in under permitted development, which means we've got no control over it whatsoever. This goes back to the central government again, where they're trying to encourage more building work going on. So um, quite a lot of loft conversions um, come under permitted development. So what you're talking about, as long as they don't do anything with the front yeah. and they go out the back, that's permitted development now. Oh, is it? Yeah. Oh, oh nowadays. It, 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 on, on the whole. <laughs> yes. We've got one coming through at the moment where the... Um, I'm trying to avoid using sort of trade terms and things, but the, the, the very top of the house between the, the floor joists and the ridge um, is too low. So they can't put a loft in there, but they want to. So they have to lift the ridge up because they've got to lift. If they didn't move that ridge, yes. they could just do it. They mm -hmm. wouldn't need permission. But because they've got to move that ridge up, they then have to apply for planning permission. Mm -hmm. So very small detail, but it but um, makes wow. a big difference to to the planning. Yes, exactly. Well, if it's making the house taller, mm -hmm. then yes, okay, I see what you mean. So as long as it doesn't overlook the street, then yep. you're talking about it doesn't re may not need yeah. the planning permission. Um, okay, all right. So that that's interesting. I think that's probably you know the, again the builders are happy with that then because there's a lot a lot more work going on yeah. than there might be considering the way that uh, austerities hit everything. Yeah. No, so that's cool then. Okay, so uh, just to the end that to end that story. By the way, the neighbour was paid a fortune to to sort of not complain anymore. Yes, right. Um, so which I thought was quite interesting. Money does get you some benefits. The, the, if it was permitted development, then it was probably them deciding that they didn't want to sort of carry, have this neighbour hassling them all the time. If it wasn't permitted development and uh, they needed to go through the council, then the council would have picked it up and, and, and taken it on because um, we don't want people going ahead and doing planning details that are not allowed. And we will prosecute challenge anybody that, that, that does that yeah i mean there's been some famous cases haven't there over the yes. years you know elsewhere you know, and, where... and in eastbourne and in eastbourne yes oh well can you tell us about that everyone's aware of the the, 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 um, the problems that we have in the town okay all right no we don't want to go there or anything so okay then so i think we're coming to the end of our questions um apart from did i ask uh, okay somebody called claire asked what I don't know if I asked this earlier. What's the, the hardest or the type of application that's the hardest to get through the council? 
Um, and that's our final question. <laughs> Can I let you think about that? The, 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 the hardest one is anything which gets challenged, I suppose. <laughs> yeah, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. Um, it, can, it can be straightforward conservation, but if you've applied for... Um, applied to all the right people and gone through all the right channels then conservation is nice and easy to do as well um, if you're building 100 houses um, and you're contributing to the town you're, 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 it's something which we need it's in the right area it's the right development then that's not a problem um, but the, the, the main thing is probably people who draw something on the back of a fag packet um, and then present it to the council um, and say, we'd like this, please, and then expect us to sort of fill in all the gaps and things for them. So something that's too vague then? Yeah. If, if you don't give us details, then we don't know what really you're talking about. It's not, we will offer help, and it's something which we have changed over the last three or four years as well. Come to us, discuss what you want to do. We will tell you whether or not um, it's viable for Eastbourne. Um, and give you some guidance on what, what is and isn't um, accepted within the town. Um, but we cannot start designing stuff for you. Oh, no, exactly. So that's good. So it's not an adversarial kind of affair, no. is it? Right. No, you're, you're very much part in partnership with people who want to develop. Yes. So that's interesting. And, and that also, again, through research, what is it? Called? When, when you get a developer who comes along and wants to build a, a collection of houses or a big estate or something like that, yeah. And then there's such a thing as, uh, is it a Section 106 deal or something like that? 106, it used to be called 106 Money, where they give us a contribution towards um, the infrastructure of the town. Um, it's now moved over to be called SEAL Money. Um, don't ask me what it stands for. Uh, but uh, yeah, but that, that's taken it over, so we, we still get that contribution. Okay, so that's interesting. So can you just explain that quickly? Will? Um, so for example... Um, all Saints Church on the seafront, um, they've built a number of properties up there for private sale. Um, they didn't want to do uh, any affordable housing or social housing for us, uh, which was one of the conditions that they, that they would have had to do because they were building, I think, 60 units. So out of those 60 units, they would have had to build at least 15 of them to be social housing. Um, they didn't want to do that, so they gave us a contribution of £3 million instead. Um, and then that goes back into capital funding for the town to to do various bits and pieces within the town. All right. So that's not necessarily monies that need to be spent in that development then? No. Okay. So it can be spent anywhere in the town? Yes. Oh, so something capital. On, yeah, right. So yeah. that's really good then. So something on one side of the town can benefit some, something on the other side of town yeah. quite easily because it goes into the central fund. Think of the harbour at the moment with the... The finishing touches that are happening over at the harbour at the moment with the playground areas, the community centre, um, the doctor's surgery, those sort of things. Um, some of that money, um, if not all of that money for the community centre, for example, has come out of 106 money. Oh, OK. Oh, that's so good news. So that all gets paid for by that. All right. Fantastic. So, uh, yeah, well, that that's good because I, I thought that was something like, um, yeah, yeah, if you build a, a massive estate, I don't know, you're building 500 homes or something, then, you, you know, that you provide a school or something along those lines but that's how it used to be or it no, can no, be still it, it, it still is part of that um, uh, if you're going to add that amount of uh, extra work extra houses into a town you've got to think about the sewage system you've got to think about the doctor's surgery um, where are all the kids going to go to school how are you going to get them to, from A to B where's all the car parking going to go so the, the, the infrastructure is, is immense 
can, can the can the power supply that's already accounted for within the town account, uh, uh, cope with another five hundred houses? That's a good point. Yeah, because yeah, you just obviously as a lay person, you just wouldn't think of that. No. You just think that's all right. Run an extension lead. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so no, no. I get, oh, okay. So the first house I built was on a big estate. Quite a, a so first house I bought rather was on a big estate um, that was you know a new built by one of these uh, housing developers. And see, this is again where you're talking about how things have changed. And, and it, this was in the mid mid to late nineties. So what happened was we had a nice garden. And of course, nowadays, things are being squeezed and squeezed and squeezed. So you look at a new development in other places. I'm not saying Eastbourne, but looking in other places. Uh, you know, I've had family buy houses in a similar, from a similar developer. Yeah. And they really are, as they say, a postage stamp type garden. It's not even a garden. It's a bit of turf, really. You know, yeah. that's about it. Because they're squeezing more and more plots into a larger you know, space. Which is, you know, kind of upsetting, really, if you think about it. But you're saying Eastbourne obviously doesn't want that to happen. I okay. don't want it to happen, but <laughs> yeah. It, but, but once again, we come down to the individual cases. You know, we've just passed planning permission for fifty flats in the town centre on the old police station site um, with no car parking whatsoever. So uh, those people who move into there were looking to attract single parent families, um, young young families, uh, people who haven't got cars, but people who will use the the train station which is right next to them the bus service which is right next to them the free bus pass that they'll be given for three years when they oh, buy right. a flat yep. the um, the free um, car share scheme that they'll be entitled to for a year um, a hundred pound cycle voucher that they'll be right. given when they buy the flat right you know because we're, we're, we're trying to think slightly outside the box it sounds a little bit gimmicky we're hoping it's going to work um, but it's it, it's we wouldn't do it on the outskirts of town because there's no infrastructure there to support them. But because it's right in the town centre, everything's there for them. The, the bus service, the train service, accessibility to anywhere else in the county really is on their doorstep. Um, we think that in this particular case it's going to work and it gives us an extra 50 houses and or flats, should I say, but there'll be affordable flats as well. 20% of those are going to be affordable housing. Okay. Yeah. So, and that's uh, just around the corner here. That's so, just around the corner here. Well, you see, I think, from my own point of view, it makes some sense. You know, if you're going to be in the centre of town, do you need a vehicle? Yeah. I know that obviously, you know, people do have vehicles. Uh, I'm again talking about my own experience. I lived in Brighton and Hove uh, yep. for years, and I lived in the centre of Hove. There's absolutely no, there was never any parking there, you know, because all those massive houses are all turned into flats. Yep. And so parking is a real issue. And I, for when I moved there, I probably lived in Ho for about five years and I did not have a car for no. five years because there was no point. It was just more hassle than it was worth. Funnily enough, if I needed a car, I went, I went, I went and rented it, which is what you're saying. Yeah. Um, which is interesting. And, and, and uh, it's nice to see that, that, that I think that those sorts of things are being thought of. Um, okay, Jim, I think we've run out of time now, to be honest. I think we've really gone through a lot today. Um, I'm going to have to listen back and try and remember what it is. But let me just have a quick look at the questions. But in the meantime, is there anything else that you'd like to say about uh, about planning and about your role, perhaps? Uh, planning is one of those ones which you either love or hate. I'm one of the lucky councillors who loves doing it. So um, I've enjoyed or I'm enjoying my time on the council. Um 
I'm also really interested in sort of eco work as well. So hopefully the next time that we get to talk, uh, we could talk about some of the sort of greening up of Eastbourne that we're hoping to be doing in the future. Absolutely. Well, brilliant. Well, Councillor Jim Murray from Hampden Park and the Lib Dems, thank you very much for coming into your councillor online and obviously Eastbourne online as well. Um, again, listeners, if you've got any questions for uh, for Councillor Jim, let us know and we'll pass them on for you um, so that you, you know, you'll be happy to answer those, I guess, won't you? No problem. Excellent. Okay. And then hopefully we'll be speaking to you soon about how to green up Eastbourne born on how the council are looking to do that thanks very much for joining us see you later bye thank you
Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.